Hello, humans, hello, humans, hello, humans of the world. It's me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio on lovely AM 950, talking to you from the bunker in Eden Prairie. How are you? Happy Saturday to you. Happy, happy, warm Saturday. Oh, my God. It's going to be such a great weekend. Oh, and we have a great show. We really do. The big interview is with Jeffrey Siminoff of the Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights Organization, a truly idealistic organization that's doing incredible, incredible work in America and across the world. In my C block, I'm going to talk about the work that I do as an idealist, but let us begin as we usually do with our featured idealist of the week. He is someone all, and I mean all of you are familiar with, whose name will go down in modern world history as an incredibly inspirational, idealistic, and important leader. I am speaking of Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. Frankly, I have been remiss in not highlighting Zelensky before this, but certainly the last three weeks since Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24th, he is someone that I need to speak about now. Who is Volodymyr Zelensky, and how did he come to be one of the most admired leaders in the world and at the moment I'm telling you this? To begin, we need to go back to the Cold War at a time when the Soviet Union existed and the Cold War really was a thing. At that time, Ukraine was occupied and controlled by the Soviets. It wasn't until November 1989 when the Berlin Wall came down that Eastern Bloc countries, including Ukraine, achieved independence, were able to go and live, you know, be countries unto themselves with the governments that they wanted. And almost all of those countries went democratic rather than um, dictatorial. Thus, uh, being born, uh, thus, being born in January of 1978 in Ukraine, Zelensky lived the first two decades of his life under a Soviet-dominated communist society. His family is Jewish, and Zelensky's father, um, the family is Jewish and highly educated. Zelensky's father is a computer scientist and educator, and his mother is an engineer. Zelensky's grandfather was a colonel in the Soviet army in World War II. Zelensky's great-grandfather and three great-uncles, remember, Jewish, perished in the Holocaust. When Zelensky was 17 years old, he entered a local comedy competition and won. Think about that, about how cool that must have been for him. From there, he took part in other comedy competitions throughout Ukraine and Russia. And he figured out that he had a great uh, comedic and acting talent ability. And by age 30, he had formed a production company that was producing romantic comedies and TV shows, uh, both movies and TV shows, several of which Zelensky himself starred in. Zelensky did attend college in Ukraine and he obtained a law degree, but never practiced law. His heart was in the performing arts. In 2015, Zelensky produced and starred in um, a movie, uh, ex uh, excuse me, starred in a, a TV series, Servant of the People, a comedy where he played a high school history teacher in his 30s who won the presidential election in Ukraine after a viral video went, a vi a video went viral showing him to rant against government corruption in the country. Okay, so you've got this, you got this uh, co comedian turned actor as well, who plays a high school uh, history teacher and going against government corruption, and it turns to be one of the most popular 
popular uh, TV shows in Ukraine. As Zelensky's acting career was taking off in, in, in Ukraine, there was a backlash against all things Russian. Uh, recall that Russia had invaded and annexed Crimea in 2014. And by 2015, the Ukraine Ministry of Culture announced plans to ban Russian actors from Ukraine. Zelensky spoke out against this. He felt that it was wrong to discriminate against ordinary Russians. Zelensky's show, Servant of the People, proved to be widely popular, as I said, and it made Zelensky a household name. Thus, by March of 2018, Zelensky's production company registered a brand new Ukrainian political party. The name of that party? Servant of the People. But for months, Zelensky was coy. He was coy about whether he'd run for president or not. Okay? However, on New Year's Eve 2018, Zelensky announced his presidential bid. He was going to run against the incumbent, Petro Poroshenko. Zelensky's campaign centered on him as anti-establishment, anti-corruption. Same thing that we saw here in America in the, in the 2018-2020 elections, okay? Um, and Zelensky had the goal of restoring trust in politicians to bring professional, decent people to power. He wanted to change the mood and timber, that's the real word there, T-I-M-B-R-E, of the political establishment. Sounds pretty idealistic if you ask me. He also supported free medical cannabis, a free access to abortion, and legalization of prostitution and gambling. Zelensky also opposed targeting the Russian language in Ukraine or banning artists for political views. So Zelensky, egalitarian, a unifier, not a divider. I mean, hey, <laughs> you know, that's kind of wow, all right? There were uh, a couple rounds for the Ukrainian presidential election. Zelensky won the first round, which I, I'm assuming was like a primary. And then in April 2019, he received 73% of the vote from across the country for president, with Poroshenko getting just 25%. That is a trouncing, okay? I mean, that is like, wow. As soon as Zelensky was uh, elected, he started taking real actions like uh, reducing the influence of U Ukrainian oligarchs on Ukrainian politics. He also got passed um, a law that removed immunity uh, from criminal prosecution for Ukrainian politicians. They had had that immunity before, which of course allowed for corruption to thrive. And just two months into his presidency, former, uh, uh, Zelensky spoke with former President Trump and they had that infamous phone conversation where Trump asked for, quote unquote, a favor by having the Ukrainians investigate Joe and Hunter Biden. That, as we all know, led to Trump's first, first of two, impeachments. Fast forward to now. I think most of the world, particularly for a guy named Putin, the belief was that, Lezin, that Zelensky was a joke as a leader and certainly not up to the task of being a wartime president. After all, the guy was a comedian. Some of his comedy troupe colleagues are now leaders within the government. He appointed them as leaders in the government. I assume that Putin and his uh, clique who planned the war in Ukraine 
thought, this guy is a joke. We'll be there in three days. I'm positive of that. Well, I think we can now <laughs> all agree that this comedic actor by trade has turned out to be one hell of a wartime president. Zelensky has become relentless in how he's worked to obtain the world's support financially and in the form of weapons and a legion of volunteer fighters. All of that to protect his country, the country that elected him, the country that he is president of, Ukraine. Um, he may be, as I speak, the most charismatic leader in the world right now. Um, and among uh, his most notable statements uh, was the one that came in response to the United States urging, soon after the war began, that Zelensky relocate outside of, the, outside of Ukraine for his protection. Uh, Zelensky's response, quote, I need ammunition, not a ride, unquote. Not bad for a kid whose career got started by winning a comedy competition at age 17. Finally, Zelensky and his wife have been married for 19 years, and they have two children. We can only pray, and I mean that with a capital P, that Zelensky survives and that he isn't assassinated or bombed to death. Ukraine and the world so need this incredible idealist. We need him badly. So, you know, I don't know if you're writing checks or what you're doing to help support the uh, war effort, the defense war effort um, in Ukraine. But know this. Zelensky, maybe just through sheer personality, has helped to rally a country that everybody thought would be ragtag in, in response to the Russians. He is some he, Churchillian, you know, Rooseveltian, Lincolnish. I don't know. We could put all kinds of labels on Zelensky. But I think the one that is most important is that he is alive. Okay. All right. That does it for our featured idealists this week. When we come back, I am so incredibly thrilled. We're going to talk to Jeffrey Simonoff, Simonoff excuse me, from uh, the RFK Human Rights Organization. Oh, my God. And you know, listeners, Bobby Kennedy, you know how important he is to me. So, all right. So when we come back, we're going to do that. I've been trying to do that interview for months. Okay. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Sign up for my newsletter, The Ripple, which you'll hear about in the next segment. Sign up for it because it's a wonderful newsletter, if I do say so myself. Thanks. We're back. 
on Ellie 2.0 Radio on lovely AM 950. Well, I am ecstatic. That would be the right word for this week's big interview because I have been attempting to get uh, Jeffrey Simonoff on on this show for months um, and, uh, and, and to have him talk about uh, the uh, Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights Organization. Uh, Jeffrey Simonoff is, um, he is the vice, senior vice president for workplace dignity with Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights. He is a graduate of Duke University. And in addition to that, he, he is a lawyer. He has a law degree from Emory University. Jeffrey, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. Thank you for being here. So happy to be here with you, Ellie, after lots of planning. Look forward to the conversation. Oh, a lot of planning. Yeah, but we're, we got it and it's working and, and, and it's just great. And audience members, for those who are new, okay, for the long-term audience members, you know this about me. You know that Robert F. Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, is one of my most dearest, dearest um, heroes. And in fact, my newsletter, The Ripple, is named after his Ripples of Hope speech. So this is an incredibly special interview for me, just as Ellie Krug human. So Jeffrey, let's begin uh, first by talking about uh, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights. Can you tell us about the organization generally and, you know, give us an idea of the scope of the work that it does, please, by all means, you know, give us the website and plug the organization as, as you as you seem fit. I'd be happy to. So the, our website, just to get that out of the way, is Robert F. Kennedy, rfkhumanrights.org. And you could follow us on all the, the Twitters, the socials, the Facebooks, the Instas, and all of those things. Um, and thank you, Ellie, also just for those kind words about the man around whose, whose legacy our work is really built. Um, our organization is a nonprofit. Um, it was formed in 1968 shortly after Bobby Kennedy was killed as he won the California primary. And we carry on his legacy and forge ahead with his unfinished work, all in the pursuit of his dream of a more just and a more peaceful world. That's what he was all about, and it's what we are all about today. And we do that by partnering with local activists around the world uh, on the theory that those closest to the problem often have the best solutions. And that's something that we role model from Bobby Kennedy himself. And we advocate for human rights issues and hold leaders to account. And it's especially around protection of civic space, uh, freedom of assembly, freedom of association, freedom of expression, which in this day and age is crucial, economic and racial justice, issues of mass incarceration and immigration, and gender-based violence. And at the same time, we use human rights education to help educators incorporate principles of human rights education in their own classrooms and also help the next generation of human rights defenders, mainly college students, speak truth to power and leverage activism to drive change. And you mentioned my role, uh, which is leading a workplace dignity program, which is new for us. And there we focus on the intersection of human rights in the workplace to give leaders and organizations the tools they need to promote equity and truly see the inherent value and worth of all workers, no matter the work they do, or where they do it. And I'll just start stop with a, a quote from Ethel Kennedy, who was interviewed by Tom Brokaw in 1988. Um, Ethel, of course, Bobby Kennedy's wife, um, who still is our organization's leader. Um, and she said, Bobby brought us all along with his enthusiasm, 
and his love of life and his curiosity. And he made everybody feel a part of this battle that we're going to do better and America can stand for something. <laughs> you, with that. You're, you're, you're already tugging at my heart, Jeffrey. <laughs> Um, and Hard not to with this man, <laughs> you know, and, oh, you know, um, so I want to talk about the workplace dignity uh, program in just a second. Okay. But, but one of the, you, you know, you, as you, as you said, you, you pair with local people, local act- activists who are on the ground with, you know, and, 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 and it, that's a really great philosophy because they're the ones that know how to get things done versus an organization that might be, you know, 3,000 miles away. Um, but you also highlight idealists. And, you, and, 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 and that, you know, you've got your uh, Ripple of Hope Award. And I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about it. I mean, there have been like major recipients, like, you know, President Obama was a recipient and I, I, you, you've got a number of other, you know, well, well, very well-known people. But the ripple of hope also has been given to some people that aren't really, you know, name-worthy. And, and what is the ripple, you know, the ripple of hope award about? Sure. So maybe I'll step back for just a moment to sort of ground uh, the ripple of hope um, award in, you know, the legacy that it was built on. So, of course, uh, the phrase ripple of hope comes from the Day of Affirmation address that Bobby Kennedy delivered in South Africa yep. um, in 1966. And it's definitely wor- a speech worth reading. And the relevant line from that, I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with it, but I'll just quote that small excerpt is, each time a person stands up for an ideal or acts to improve a lot of others or strikes out against injustice, he sends forth a tiny ripple of hope and crossing each other from a million different centers of energy and daring those ripples build a current which can sweep down the mightiest walls of oppression and resistance. So the Ripple of Hope Award, which we give annually, generally in December, um, is meant to recognize exemplary leaders across international business, entertainment, and activist communities who have really used their platforms and positions of influence to drive social change and truly reflect Bobby Kennedy's passion for equality justice, basic human rights, and his belief that each of us can make a difference. And so that's what the awards are grounded on. And we have a second award, which is called the Human Rights Award, that recognizes true activists on the front lines that, to your point, Ellie, may be lesser um, front of mind um, than some of the folks who have gotten the Ripple of Hope Award. So, So just on the Ripple of Hope Award, like the most recent example that comes to mind about someone who many people know, but you know, is not necessarily front of mind for all is Amanda Gorman. She's the youngest recipient Mm. of the award. Of course, Amanda is an award-winning poet and activist, and she gave that tremendous uh, recitation of a special poem at the inauguration last January. So I think what we're in why normally the person who receives the Ripple of Hope Award is a very established, prominent person who's really leveraged their influence to drive change, we also recognize that people who may not be as far along in their life, so to speak, can also drive change as well. On the human rights front, where we're talking about people who are really in the trenches of making change, who may not be on the radar of most Americans or people in other countries, um, our most recent uh, recipient of that award was Gerline Joseph. Now, Gerline is an immigrant rights activist 
who leads an organization called Haitian Bridge. And she has been a champion of the rights and dignity of Haitian and black immigrants for years, um, which, of course, with all the tragedy that has struck Haiti over time, that sort of role is crucially important. Um, and she's really been at the forefront of standing up for people in those dire circumstances. And we were just so pleased to honor her at an award ceremony at the border, literally. The <laughs> event was literally at the border um, on, on the back of a flatbed pickup truck, to be honest, um, <laughs> as we put together something in other than a conference room in this day and age. Well, that would be conference that room events are hard. <laughs> that would be in Bobby Kennedy style to back of a, a flatbed pickup truck, right? You, you bet. I mean, he's a man who you know, really did the work and put himself yep. in the experiences on the ground rather than opining from on high. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting and we're going to have to take a break in a second here, but when we talk about ripples of hope, you know, um, just before uh, we've done, I'm doing this, inter- I've do- do- doing this interview with you, I've spoke about Voldemort Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. We can, you know, it's a little bit different circumstance, but, but, we're seeing in real time right now how one person can inspire an entire world against injustice. And he's, uh, he's, he's, he's a tremendous example. I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, uh, uh, Jeffrey, we got to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk with about your workplace dignity program. I think it's a fantastic program. Listeners, we're speaking with Jeffrey Simonoff from the um, Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights uh, Organization. When we come back from our break, we'll continue um, my interview. Thanks. We're back, LE 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Uh, we're in the midst of the big interview. I've been speaking with Jeffrey Simonoff, Senior Vice President workplace for Workplace Dignity with Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights. Jeffrey, before we took our break, um, we I, you had mentioned briefly about the, the Workplace Dignity Program that the organization really le- like launched last fall. Am I right about that? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. It's, and, it's our newest program. And you and you are in charge of it. You're an employment lawyer generally. Um, will you talk to us about it? Because there's a what and, and listeners, there is a wonderful, wonderful um, video on the website. Alfre Woodward 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 um, is the narrator for it that talks about uh, the program. But go ahead, Jeffrey. Tell us about it, please. And thanks for recognizing the the video. We're we're really proud of that, and so grateful that Alfre contributed her voice to that. She's part of our leadership council, and and just a great oh, yeah. humanitarian in her, her own right, um, and a great actress, of course. Um, the workplace dignity program is really meant to give life to the question: What does it mean to say that human rights don't end at the workplace door? Um, we spend a third of our lives or more at work. I think the only thing that rivals work for most people is sleep, and sometimes work outpaces sleep <laughs> for many. Right. Um, and so, you know, the, our constitution as a human rights organization is the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And, you know, that constitution basically commits to people just and favorable conditions of work and remuneration that allows them 
and their families to live a life of dignity. Our work is designed to sort of give meaning and give actionable life to those principles so that organizations can really center the dignity, the inherent value and worth of the people who are entrusted to their care, whose work is allowing them as organizations to be successful. And so we do that on our website in two principal ways. One is to give managers and leaders the tools on a day-to-day basis to really prioritize and center the dignity of the people on their teams. And then secondly, by looking at the structures that affect the entire employment experience for workers, which could be compensation, it could be benefits, it could be how a recruiting process works, it could be how performance management is delivered, it could be even how organizations talk to their people, what they choose to talk Mm -hmm. about and what they don't choose to talk about. All of those things taken together really affect the dignity of people in their work environments. And that's what we're focused on, particularly for those who um, are particularly vulnerable in the workplace because they may be part of a marginalized group or underrepresented or because they work in an industry that is potentially prone to particular uh, dignity violations. Well, and, and this this uh, is really kind of up my alley because I do diversity, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion work with workplaces, and and you know, it sounds to me like this is focusing on the inclusivity, the 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 valuing of humans aspect to it. Um, Jeffrey, uh, is it so? An employer, you know, if listening to the show, and we have some of them, if they wanted to learn more about how they could increase dignity of their workers, of their, of their team members. I don't like the word workers. They could increase the dignity, in, in, enhance the dignity of the organiza- organization for all. They could actually go to the website for um, RFK uh, Human Rights and, and find a tool set? They can. They can go to rfkhumanrights.org click on Workplace Dignity. And what we decided to do is to put out for sort of you know, deep consumption. This is not a, a website that's just a program summary. This is actually oh, yeah. a how-to. It's, it's a, a how-to. Great and, website. Yep. Go ahead. Go and, ahead. Yep. And, and so, and so they can pick up um, an extensive range of tips and practices that they can employ immediately in their day-to-day leadership, or consider for the structures that they may be re- responsible for as organizational leaders. For example, if you're in charge of recruiting at an organization, there's a section for you. If you're in charge of compensation and benefits, we got you covered. If you're focused on internal communications, come talk to me. All of those things are available on the website, which we'll continue to iterate. And of course, we're having separate conversations with leaders and consulting with them on how they could you know, make it more specific to their own work so they can reach out to us through the website. Um, I'm JMS San Fran I'm on Twitter. Um, hit me up there. Um, I am based in San Francisco. That's why uh, you have the San Fran on my Twitter handle. Okay. Well, I'm writing that down. I'm going to get, I'm going to become a follower. So there you go. Um, and, and, and Jeffrey, uh, you know, you have a, there's a tagline for this program, or at least I view it as a tagline. And the tagline is that dignity bridges our differences. And um, I, but that is so incredibly true, isn't it? You know, uh, uh, we, we have diverse humans of of all types, and, and we want that. I mean, this is what makes America this wonderful place. But the dignity is the thing that allows for all that to work, yes? Oh, I, I, so, I so agree with you, and I think that's well said. I mean, you know, diversity is all the things that make people different. 
inclusion is what makes differences matter. So that's one principle that I think is so important that you Mm -hmm. alluded to earlier. And the dignity point that, you know, I view inclusion as an element of how you honor a person's dignity, you make them feel included. You know, Donna Hicks, who's a a leader in, in this space as well, you know, she, she says that, you know, we all have differences, but our common denominator is our dignity. Um, and it's dignity that can bridge those differences to your point. And so the idea that we can focus on something that we all have in common, we're all born with value. We're all born Mm -hmm. with work. The the trick is to remember that, to take a pause and think about that and find ways to bridge so we can move forward in some ways together. Well, and, and, uh, Jeffrey, I don't think we use the word dignity nearly enough you know, and I agree with you. And I think sometimes people throw it around without really thinking about what it means. You may see it, you know, in a, in a mission statement, we treat people with dignity and respect, and then people just move on. Um, it's worth taking a beat and thinking what it could mean for you or the people you interact with, what any of us, who any of us interact with. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. And thank you for heading the program. Thank you for the organization um, doing this. And uh, I, I, I can tell you, I'll be referencing it in my newsletter. <laughs> so you know, there's a little bit of a closed circle there. It comes, comes back around. So, so Jeffrey, um, as I had told you, um, uh, you know, as we prepared for the show, I ask all of my uh, guests that I interview if they're an idealist. And what may have made them an idealist? Now, you are working for what's got to be one of the most idealistic organizations on the planet. And and by the way, I'm incredibly jealous. Just just let's get that out there, okay? All right. But are you an idealist? And what, if you would, if you'd be willing to, what made you an idealist? Yeah, it's it's such a important question and a thought-provoking one. I, I I would say that I am. Um, I'm an idealist with mindfulness of the need to get things done, which is, I think, one of the points that Bobby Kennedy mm-hmm. made in that affirmation speech address, that, you know, having ideas is crucial. Getting things done is also crucial. And you know, too many people think that those things are inconsistent um, because there's an urgency to see results immediately. And I think what I've realized is that it's important to have North Stars that are bold and ambitious, um, but having bold and ambitious goals and ideals doesn't mean that everything we seek to achieve is going to happen quickly or even in our own lifetimes. Right. Um, and that's and that's okay. Um, you know, Bobby Kennedy said that great ideals have constantly recalled us to our own duties, and and to me, you know, I take I take that very seriously because i think you know again it's this idea of having more stars that we can sort of bring ourselves back to to make sure that in the things that we're doing in our lives we're marching towards the ideals that we say that we have and so i think it's important to keep ideals front of mind um, and to execute on them and you know the ideals of humanity and love bobby kennedy also talked about and that's a big part of I think my own life and I, I get it, you know, the inspirations and the influences, we all have them. For me, I would say it's, it's my mom. Um, always to this day, um, 
trying to see the good in others and you're reminding me that we never know someone else's full story. We never know uh, the shoes that they've walked in in their lives or what happened to them earlier in the day that we interacted with them when something seemed to go awry in our interaction. Um, and I think that's part of why we focus in my own work, the workplace dignity work, on honoring the dignity of workers and workplaces other than our own. If we think about it through COVID and other things, we, we've interacted with so many people who have had to take on so much risk and challenge as they provided services to us. And how many of us have taken enough time to see them, to appreciate them, to thank them, whoever they are, um, the postal worker, the person who's picking up our trash, the person who poured us a coffee or did our checkout of our groceries. There are moments that um, require us to see the people around us and um, to recognize them and to appreciate them. And so I think about that a lot and the idea of kindness and being generous in spirit towards others. Um, I also was influenced by my experience on 9-11 when I was a, a person who worked in the World Trade Center, who was in the World Trade Center in the South Tower on the 65th floor that day. And I had my own experience there going down the stairwell and evading, you know, sort of a, a pretty horrible alternative that I worked my way through. But in the aftermath of all of that experience, you know, you could focus on all of the horrible things of that day, all the reasons why what happened happened, or you can make a decision to balance that out with other things. And that's what I did. That in the aftermath of that day, I balanced out the feelings of frustration and anger and fright, fright with the acts of kindness and generosity that I experienced in the aftermath of that day which really pulled me forward and pulled me through and really anchors me in terms of how I think about so much today. Well, Jeffrey, I'm, I'm so sorry that you had that experience on 9-11, but I'm thankful that you survived. And, you know, I think that um, we have these watershed moments, these moments, for me, I call them moments of truth, where we can pivot one way or another in response to the moment. Um, you know, for me, uh, you know, uh, I pivoted towards my idealism and I pivoted towards living an authentic life. Um, and, and, uh, and I'm just, you know, with your credentials and your background, you could be, you know, in an Ivy League law firm earning seven figures, maybe eight figures a year. And yet you've chosen to do this, to work um, for Bobby Kennedy's place. And I just want to tell you, I am just so thankful that you are there and your colleagues are there and the work that you do. Well, thank you for saying that. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's wonderful to be a ripple among ripples and, <laughs> Uh, the colleagues that I have are are really doing incredible work um, while also trying to amplify the voices of others um, yep. just to sort of bring forward a community of change makers um, that share the same ideals and the hope for a more just and peaceful world. <laughs> 
Well, Jeffrey, I think you and I could probably talk for <laughs> a good long time, but um, our time is up. I am just so grateful that you've been on my show and thank you for continuing to hang in there as we tried to make this work. I'm, I really appreciate it. And, uh, and uh, you know what? I'd like to have you come back someday and talk about you know how the Workplace Dignity Program is going and the successes that you'll rack up with it. Be a pleasure, and thanks for having me. Okay, all right. Well, thank you, Jeffrey. All right, listeners, we've been speaking with Jeffrey Simonoff, the Senior Vice President for Workplace Dignity with Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights. Um, when I come back, I'll cover my C-block where I talk about my work as an idealist. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on AM 950. Thanks. Ellie 2.0 Radio. So, Jeffrey Simonoff. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh, I finally... Listeners, I have been trying to get someone from RFK uh, Center... Excuse me, RFK Human Rights. Uh, I have been trying to get somebody from there for like six months. And it, it's just... it it So, persistence. Yeah, that's... Yep, yep. That would be me. That would be me. So, and Jeffrey was so incredibly kind because he hung in there the entire time as we were trying to get it done. So it was great. Great. Okay. And check them out, please. It's an incredible website with a lot of things on it, a lot of resources. Okay. Um, so my C block, kind of a hodgepodge here for you. So, uh, I had lunch this week with a dear friend, older gentleman, and, um, he sat down and immediately started talking about how it's difficult to have hope that he's overwhelmed. And oh, and by the way, he's an idealist. Um, he's overwhelmed with all that is going on. And he is very in tune with transgender people. Um, for some reason, he's taken a real liking to Willie Krug. And, and, uh, and he's very, I mean, he would not be somebody that you would expect that would be an ally of trans people or LGBT people generally. Um, but he was well aware of what's going on in my community with, you know, Texas passing this horrendous, horrendous law, you know, and then the attorney general for Texas you know, essentially and the governor coming out with letters saying that, the, well, the law in Texas is that it's now illegal for um, provider, health care providers to provide any kind of gender affirming health care, which would be like testosterone blockers or other things for transgender kids and youth, anybody younger than 18. That's illegal for them. I think there are criminal penalties for that. They Trans kids and youth in Texas, they can't even get therapy. They can't get there. It's against the law for therapists to give them any kind of therapy that's gender affirming. Um, and then on top of that, you know, you had the attorney general and then you had the governor issuing these letters, which of course weren't the force of law, but nonetheless, it's Texas, you know, and essentially saying that parents who allowed their children to get such kind of care uh, could be arrested for child abuse, investigated for child abuse, and of course arrested. And then the children potentially, potentially excuse me, being taken away and being placed in, you know, homes where those children would be okay. 
you know, they'd be in good environments, which of course would be environments that would be contrary to their gender identity, that would be suppressive, destructive environments. At any rate, gentlemen and I sat and talked about that. We talked about what's going on in, in Ukraine. We talked about other things that are happening in America right now. And, you know, he just talked about how difficult it is to have hope. And, and I'll, I'll agree with him. I think hope's a big challenge right now at this moment. I mean, thank God the weather's changing, okay? And it's getting warmer in Minnesota. That's going to help a little bit in Nelly Krug's world. But, you know, for all of that, still, look at, it, at what is going on in Ukraine. The horror. Horror, no doubt. But look at how the world has come forward to help. You know, I don't want to get in the nuances about, you know, the, you know, the uh, no-fly zone or, you know, sending the planes from Poland to Germany and the you know, U.S. flying, whatever. I don't want to get into that. But what I do want to get into is the fact, literally, that we are united right now as a world in a way that we have not been united for a long time. And I'm, I'm like talking, going back before Bush two. I think we'd have to go that far back to really think about the world being united that way. That gives me hope. I think we have to recognize that. Now, we don't know where this war is going to go. That's true, okay? And we have no idea about how many more people that will die in Ukraine. But, you know, I watched the videos of the, you know, the Russian soldiers who were captured, and I don't think they're under it at all under duress. With some of them crying and regretting about how they could have been so caught up in something so horrible for other humans. That gives me hope. So, just, listeners, hang in there. Okay? We will get through this. We will. As long as we care about each other. As long as we're willing to say, I care about you. And willing to show up for others. Okay. All right. Uh, big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. Best in the business. And to you, my listeners, I am just, thank you so very much for tuning in every Saturday or Sunday or on podcasts. There's so many listeners on podcasts. I'm just thrilled about that. Um, but thank you. And, uh, you know, I'm not going anywhere. I'll be back next week. We'll see what that brings. have no idea because my life's so hectic at the moment. But don't worry. We'll make it work, okay? In the meantime, go out and do good. Be kind to someone. And make a positive difference in the world. Thank you. Bye-bye.